0: Let's pray. God, thank you and praise you for the day, and may your name be glorified by, among your people as we sang this evening, Lord. Uh, may it rise up from us, Lord, because you're good to us, and uh, we, we're grateful for that, Lord. We're, we're grateful for all the grace and mercy that you've poured out on our lives. We thank you for forgiveness and redemption from sin. We thank you, Lord, that our lives have meaning because we're pursuing something that lasts beyond these, these years, of, uh, beyond this earth, Lord we've invested in the eternal. And so we're grateful, God, that you've made a way that we could do that through the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray now you'd help us to uh, learn from Solomon all that we uh, need to, Lord, that we could make the proper adjustments in our lives to better glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we started the book of Ecclesiastes last week, and we said, you know, Wisdom is, is learning from other people's mistakes. Part of wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes. And Solomon certainly made plenty of mistakes. He was also the wisest man that ever lived, the Bible says. And so if he's made some mistakes and has learned from them and has written those things out for us in the book of Ecclesiastes, then why not try to learn from him, right? Makes sense. And so this book is, is unique in... A, in In my opinion it's different than all other 65 books in the in the word of god because really this book is written toward somebody who doesn't yet believe somebody who yet doesn't have faith in jesus christ and the the hope of i believe of solomon is to say hey what is your life actually worth what what are you pursuing what what are you chasing after and is it worth it is it is it worth your time? Is it worth your energy? Is it worth worth the investment that you're making to pursue after? And he's asking very wise questions, and he certainly has a wealth of knowledge on the subject, and so uh, uh, it's it's a good book to say, hey, you're, you're trying to lead somebody to the Lord. You're trying to cause somebody to um, see their need for Jesus. Say, hey, sit down and read this book. It's 12 chapters long. takes half an hour to read. You can do it in one sitting, and so Um, It's a a good thing to do. So I would encourage you, if you haven't done that, just read through the entire book. All right, so we're going to pick it up. Well, let me ask you this question before we get started. Fill in the blank. If I had blank, I'd be happy. If I had blank, you fill in the blank. I and mean, you don't have to shout it out. you know. But what, what, what is that? If it's anything but Jesus, we've got growing to do. We've got things to learn from Solomon. Because what we need is Jesus. What we need... Somebody said it this way. We can never fulfill... A spiritual thirst by a material thing. We can never fulfill a spiritual thirst which is given to us by God in a material thing. There is no, never something that's going to fit in that hole in our heart other than Him. Imagine if you won the lottery. You know, what, where, how, you, you've, you've thought that through, I bet, haven't you? How you'd spend the money. What you would do and then you'd think, well, I'd be happy, but you actually ask a lot of the lottery winners, they're not happy. They're not happier than they were. They're they're more frustrated. They're more upset. upset. They've got, I've got my 12th cousin on my mom's side asking me for $100,000 for, you know, and, and all of a sudden, all the, everybody comes out of the woodwork, and suddenly it, winning the lottery is a big headache. On top of that, it, you're like, I'd like that headache, please, right? That's what you're saying, but on top of that, most people who actually win the lottery are end up poorer than when they began. Because right? they, they don't know how to properly manage their money. So, what we're going to see in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is Solomon's got the been there done that t shirt. He's tried it all. There's no stone that he's left unturned. Levi Lusco, one of my favorite teachers, young teachers that I like to listen to. He taught through the Book of Ecclesiastes back in 2010 and he actually called the series spoiler alert. I like that. You know, when you when you tell somebody the end of the movie before they've seen the end of the movie, oh spoiler alert. Well, spoiler alert, Solomon tried it all. Whatever you you think that's gonna make your heart happy, other than Jesus, Solomon tried it. And the spoiler alert is it doesn't work. All right, you can go home now. That's the message. Well, we're just going to see it unfold in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, okay? So Ecclesiastes 2, 1, it says, I said in my heart, this is Solomon speaking, Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely, this also is vanity. So he's conducting an experiment. He's trying to say, I'm going I'm to try everything under the sun. I've got this basically unlimited resources To do whatever I want to do, and so the first place he goes after he he goes to school, as it were, back at the end of chapter one, he gave himself to wisdom. At the beginning of chapter two, it's almost like he's going to Daytona Beach for spring break, and he's like, "I'm gonna go have, I'm gonna party, I'm gonna have a good time, I'm gonna have a real good time, I'm gonna have a better time than you could ever afford to have time." I'm going to give myself to mirth entirely, therefore enjoying pleasure. And he tells you right there in verse 1, that also is vanity. Not vanity like, look at me, vanity, but vanity like, this is worthless. That's the vanity he's speaking of. There, it was of no value. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. It's interesting to know, in between verses 4 and 11, where we'll get to next, he uses the, uh, the word I or me 32 different times. He's like, I... I I took it all on. Solomon's going to try to see as he walks through chapter 2, what, what's going to fill that imprint that God has left in his heart. And he's going to find that nothing does. And it's, it's an interesting way to think of, you know that in Genesis, we were, we were created in the image of God. We were created to be creative. We were created to long for him. We were created to worship. And all of that, as he created us in his image, the, the idea of in his image doesn't mean like like we look like him so much. I mean they didn't do the photograph thing, they didn't do that back that, but the, the idea of in him in his image means we bear his his thumbprint. We 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 have an impression in our spirit of Him that can only be filled by Him. So Solomon's saying early on, hey, I'm going to try the booze. And many people go down that road. Many people try to quell the pain in their heart or, or, or fill their empty lives with the bottle. It's sad that something like one out of every four people that ever crack a bottle end up being alcoholics. Because it never truly it doesn't quench the pain. It doesn't it does for a moment. It does for a time. But then that, it comes back. Thankfully I've never gone down that road uh, by the grace of God. Uh, I've tried alcohol. I've had my fair share, I was not one that was after getting drunk. I never was into that. And so I said early on in my teenage years, you know, when the rest of my friends were out partying, I said, you know what, I, I just don't want to go down that road. And I'm sure I made some mistakes and sure I did some things I shouldn't have, but I wasn't ever, thankfully, I never went that way. But many do. And I've tried to fill that imprint in with other things. It's no different. So he chased after that, and he even tried to pay attention. That's what it kind of says in verse 3. I gave my flesh to wine while guiding my heart with wisdom. He's like, I'm taking notes about me being drunk. I'm paying attention here. I'm, I'm, I'm studying what it is to give myself to wine, to booze. He finds that to be folly, so he turns his attention elsewhere. It says in verse 4, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. Now what I want us to note in those two verses is everything is plural. Right? I built houses. I planted vineyards. Now this wasn't just a a, a, a a small sampling. This wasn't I did all right. It's like no, I, I invested myself in this. I poured myself into this. I did everything. And and Solomon's Solomon was known for his understanding of uh, horticulture and what have you. Uh, verse six. I made for myself water pools, from which to water the growing trees. Of the grove he he made a an aqueduct system, I acquired male and female servants, and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me, and so you see he he gave himself to labor, he gave himself to working hard and and investing his himself in that direction, building up his kingdom he 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 acquired servants he acquired. Uh, herds and flocks which was a a status symbol and uh, a measure of wealth and he's saying I had it I had it better than anybody's ever had it before me one of his building projects as he built he built Solomon's temple which took seven years to build the temple I I don't know if you've heard the descriptions but it's all onlaid in gold it's all magnificent work Built, it took him seven years to build that. It took him 13 years to build one of his houses, the house in Jerusalem. At one point, he employed 30,000 laborers working on his building projects. He built um, a summer house, if you want to call it that, in the, the forest of Lebanon. It was, um, it was 100 cubits long by 50 cubits deep by... No, sorry, 75 cubits deep by 50 cubits high. House. Uh, it's something like I, I did the square footage calculation. Something like 14, 12,000, 11,000 square foot house. Which, considering the time, that's huge. I mean, now there's you know pastors that have houses bigger than that. Pastors. You want to call them that? One of his houses had 45 bedrooms. Like I said, his palace in there in Jerusalem took 13 years to build. He just he gave himself to all of that as well. Then verse 8, that didn't satisfy either, so he turns his attention to building his wealth. It says in verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of the provinces i acquired male and female singers the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds so first he looks at the booze then he looks at building things and finally he looks at the bling right to keep my alliteration going he's like fine i'll just collect the cash uh, you know I, I'll, I'll gather as much silver and gold as I possibly can. You and I like to go to a concert. He buys the band. I'd like to see you too someday. He buys you too. You know I, I'd like to see uh, I don't I don't even know what to never mind. <laughs> you get the idea, right? I acquired male and female singers. He's like, you know, it's 2 a.m. and I'm having a little trouble sleeping. Hey, um, Coldplay, come on in and sing me to sleep. Is Coldplay still around? Okay. Because <laughs> I'm relevant. Whatever. That Just so we understand also there at the end of verse 8 where it says... He had the delights of the sons of men. I think in the uh, ESV, the English Standard Version, it says it a little bit differently. Let me read it to you there, and maybe you'll get the idea of what he's talking about. verse 8 in the ESV, says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold in the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines. The delight of the sons of men. So, that kind of tells you where that's talking about. He left no stone unturned. He explored every pleasure to the nth degree. Something like 700 wives, 300 concubines. So I became great, it says in verse 9, and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. He didn't... Burn out the brain cells. You know that alcohol does that, right? It kills brain cells, and brain cells don't get replaced. He said, I kept my wisdom with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Solomon had it all. Think about that for just a minute. That, that phrase, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. There's a story I've heard about Michael Jackson going shopping and in one afternoon spent something like $13 million as he walked through the store or whatever it was. And Oh, I'd like one of those. I'd like two of those. I'd like four of those. As he spent, just just imagine, and Solomon had it to greater degree. There There was nothing that Solomon could have wanted that he couldn't have when it comes to the material. He had unlimited resources. How much so? Just to try to give us an idea, let's flip over to 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. It's so gonna talk a little bit about Solomon's wealth. First Kings chapter ten. And this is kind of a listing of the wealth that he got. We're gonna pick it up in verse 14. 1 Kings 10.14. It says the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666, interesting number, talents of gold. 666 talents. What's a talent? 70 pounds. We, we measure gold in ounces nowadays. Right? And what is it worth? I didn't look today. Did you look today, Tim? You don't ever usually check. I don't have my phone with me. That, I usually once in a while I'll check to see what gold is worth, just because I'll never have any. So it's fun to look. But it's like three hundred and something dollars an ounce. Sound about right. Two two. I don't know. Thirteen hundred. See, I haven't looked in a while. It's a lot. He's amassing six hundred and sixty-six times seventy pounds every year. Dude had a lot of cash. That's just the money that came in from the tributes. That's the tax that he collected every year. Keep reading. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the incomes of traders from all kinds all the kings of Arabia and from all the governors of the country, and King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. When you got a bunch of gold, what do you do with it? We'll just make shields out of it. 200 of them, three minas of gold, went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. That was where the big house, the summer house. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and then overlaid it with pure gold. Ivory isn't pretty enough, right? You've got to overlay it with pure gold. The throne had six steps, just imagine the lushness, imagine the opulence, that's the word I'm looking for. The throne had six steps, and on the top of the throne was, a, was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrest. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. He had a unique place to sit. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. Not like gold-like looking, like pure, solid gold to drink out of. All the vessels of the house of the forest in Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Hear that? Silver. Oh, we don't even count that. there's so much money floating around in the days of Solomon that they're like, silver, we don't uh, you just throw it over there. We'll, we don't we don't even need it. Silver. Um Verse twenty-two. For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came back bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. <laughs> That's when you know your tastes are out there. You know you don't just want the DVD player and the you know lazy boy. I think I'd like a monkey. That's never crossed my mind. I, Somewhere else it says that he had peacocks, too. We watch NBC. He owned peacocks. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of earth in riches and wisdom. Now all the kings sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. So not only did he have all the cash, he had all the fame as well. Kings sought him out. They wanted to hear what Solomon had to say. If you're not... Drawn by money, very often you're drawn by attention. Solomon had both. Each man brought his presents, articles of silver, which they threw in the dumpster, and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. So he's like, this is what I demand. Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 100 or 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen with whom he stationed in the chariots cities and with the king at Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. Also, so he imported a bunch as well. So also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and keva. The king's merchants brought them in, keva at the current price. Now, a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver, and a horse was 150. And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. The, the horses of Egypt were head and shoulders above the rest. They were, everybody wanted, that was like, that was the car of the day. That was like the, the status symbol of the day. So, flipping, flipping back now to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We kind of get the idea now. Solomon had it. Been there. Done that. Got the t-shirt. Everything he put his eyes to, he allowed himself to have in the pursuit of satisfying that which can only be satisfied by God Himself. The conclusion, verse 11, Then I looked, at all, then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on, all, or on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity. All was grasping for the wind. Therefore, there was no profit under the sun." That's the two phrases we said were throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. This is meaningless. It's fruitless. It's invaluable. It's grasping for the wind. You can't, you can't hold the wind. It says in verse 12, so I didn't pr- find my pursuits in the material, in the, in the things of this world. I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can the man do who succeeds the king only what he has already done he's like i've done it all what could anybody who comes after me what could they do better because i've done it all so he pursued wisdom and it says and then i saw wisdom exceeds folly as light excels darkness wisdom is better than folly the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And that's the difference. A wise man's able to properly assess the situation he's in. The fool is, is not able to. But then look what he says. Yet I myself perceived that the same event happens to them all. If we were to take a, a clothesline and stretch it from that wall to that wall, and call that a timeline of eternity, and of course it would go on for infinity, If we were to take a paper clip and hang it on that line right here, I'd say that's about the span of a man's life. That's about 80 years in comparison to all of eternity. And Solomon's looking at that within all his wisdom, and he says it doesn't matter if a guy is wise or is the fool of fools, they come to the same fate. The statistics are overwhelming. One out of every one people dies. We're all going to. Sadly enough, we, we watched one of our own pass away in the past week, right? Laura, You guys know Laura Lynn? Remember Laura Lynn passed away? She uh, had come for years and years to this church. On and off, and she'd been living in West Virginia lately. Passed away last Saturday, Thursday, Friday or Saturday. Life is going to end. So even, it says in 15, So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise than I said in my heart? This also is vanity. Even the pursuit of wisdom purely for the sake of wisdom is vanity. He's almost saying ignorance is bliss. For there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die as the fool? Right? I asked Dawn that question last week. I said, tell me about your great-grandfather. Your great-great-grandfather. She couldn't. And not many people can. And the same thing is going to be asked of your great-grandchildren, they're not going to be able to tell anybody about you either. And so That's the way of the thing. The, the, there is no more remembrance for the wise than the fool. Who, we, we, don't, we don't store those things. Even, family things are important, but even, even things that we as a culture consider important, we don't keep them. Who won the Super Bowl two years ago? Who won the World Series in 1993? Who won the, the Academy Award for Best Actor in you know, 2004? We, as a society, we build that up, we hype that up, right? Billions of dollars spent on one Sunday afternoon to watch and engage in the Super Bowl, but we don't retain the information past, much past it's o- when it's over. And that's not even the important things. We don't even retain the important things so much. That's what Solomon's saying. There's no more remembrance of the wise than the fool. All will be forgotten in the days to come. So how does a wise man die? Same as the fool. And so his conclusion... And what everybody, if they're honest with themselves outside of the reach and the grasp of God, would come to this conclusion. This is what he says in 17. Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. If we take an honest assessment of what life is outside of the hand of God, or as Solomon would say it, under the sun. That's how how he phrased everything. Life under the sun. Life here on earth, outside of the spiritual, just purely in the physical. If we take an honest assessment of that, it's worthless. Because everything you own is going to end up in the junkyard. And everybody who cares about you is going to the grave just like you. And a day's coming when nobody's even going to remember your name. So then, what is the value of the pursuit of this world? Outside of God, there is none. There is none. I hated my labor. He says in verse 19, And who knows whether he, is, he will be wise or a fool. Sorry, 18. Let me read that again. Then I hated my labor in which I had toiled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me, right? Dads who own a business, eventually you turn it over to your son. Your son doesn't appreciate the work and time and effort that you put into it. Or if they don't take it, somebody else might, and who knows what's going to happen with it. Everything we have gets left behind at some point. And who knows whether he will be a wiser or a fool, the man coming after me. Yet he will rule over my labor in which I toiled, in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. You know, I'm thinking he, this is Solomon writing at the end of his life. Solomon writing at the beginning of his life, Song of Solomon. Everything's beautiful. She's so lovely. Solomon, as he's getting wiser, Proverbs. As he's growing older, Solomon at the end of the life, and all socks. <laughs> it's all vanity outside of God. And then he's looking in the wings, and he sees this kid, Rehoboam, who's going to take over for his kingdom. And what's that guy going to be like? I've amassed all this wealth. I've, I've gained more than anybody's ever gained, and I've got to hand it off to him. I understand why Solomon was afraid. Rehoboam, one week into his reign, splits Israel and Judah. And it falls apart. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet... He must also leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. You've been kept awake at night worrying about your business, worrying about your life, worrying about it. And he says even that is vanity, the stress of Of that. Nothing. And here, love this verse. Nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. What he's saying there is that what comes from the hand of God is an enjoyment that is not given in the pursuit of this world. It is in us pursuing God. It is in us leaning into His grace that He opens our hearts and gives us the ability to enjoy the things of this world. It's a switch that happens. It's when our, when our possessions no longer possess us. And we recognize that every gift is from the hand of God, just like we read on Sunday in the book of James. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no turning, no variation, no shifting shadow. And he says, that's what I recognize is from the hand of the Lord. A simple meal becomes a feast. Dave always used to say, every day is a holiday and every meal is a feast when you're in Christ. (laughs) And that sounds oversimplified. But there's such truth to it. When you have your joy set in the Lord, then even the simplest peanut butter sandwich becomes an opportunity to thank God and to be happy that God has provided for you. It's a beautiful grace. God alone gives man the ability to enjoy life. It says in Psalm 16 and 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's in us knowing Christ, that we find this fullness of joy. It says in verse 25, finishing up the chapter For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. In other words, God in the end is going to sort it all out. But what I want us to take from that is he is the giver of joy. Joy to the man who is good in his sight. And the beauty of the cross is that for all who place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, Jesus takes our sin and washes it in the blood, purifies us, and exchanges for our wretchedness His rightness. His righteousness. And in Christ, you and I, who are wretched sinners, become good. In His sight. Joy to the man who is good in his sight. You and I become good in his sight because of the joy set before Jesus. He endured the cross, as it says in the book of Hebrews. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they might have life, and life to the full, or life more abundantly. In him we become good. In him. We have joy. In Him, we have purpose. And we can enjoy life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. I'm glad I broke chapter 1 and chapter 2. I was was intending to do both chapters last week. And we just went a little long on chapter 1. So I said, I will hold off on chapter 2. I'm glad I did now. God, thank you. Thank you for Solomon. Thank you for lavishing upon him all those things that we think we want. And that he used his time and his talent and his treasure. He leveraged everything he had to pursue those things we think we want. And we can read in the book it's all, it leaves wanting, it leaves lacking, Lord. And that the conclusion is that in You is where joy is found. In You we have the ability to enjoy our lives. I pray if there's anybody here that does not yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would recognize their wretchedness just like Solomon has experienced. And they would see the work of Jesus Christ and place their faith in the finished and completed work, believing that Jesus is the Savior. for the rest of us who have already taken that step of faith. I pray we would enjoy our lives because you've made us good. In Jesus' name, amen.